0: Well, I feel like every sermon starts with an obligatory, now what? <laughs> um, this morning, I am so honored uh, to be joined on the platform by my fam. Here, Joel, why don't you hold that? If you got a, a hand for all your stuff.
1: Shout out to Taley. She calls us the flannel panel.
0: Oh, good call. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Let me get untethered here a little... Um, Here we are. You can see um, behind us, you see a lovely little photo that was taken recently. Um, Not super recently, but you can see. There we got. This is our immediate family, at least as it was in 1986. Yeah. We're going to grab the other mic here so we can pass them around. So if you haven't met all of us, you may recognize most of us as half of the band that was up here today. I'm very blessed to have a musical family. (laughs) It's fun, so Melody, Joy is my mom's name, I'm Josiah. My dad Jay and Joel is the little baby in the, sitting on mom's lap there. Aww. I used to be such a cute kid, I don't know what happened. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Time is a harsh mistress.
0: (laughs) True, true, true. (laughs) Well, this morning I want to give just a brief recap in case maybe you're not familiar with our story as a family and kind of the road we've been on. Uh, So my parents met in high school in Tucson, a couple hours south of here, and after dating and were engaged for a while, they got married and not long after moved to Kansas for Bible school, which is where I was born, and then they moved to New Mexico to be part of a church plant where Melody was born. After a couple of years and some different trials and things there, we ended up moving back to Tucson to be with our extended family where Joel was born. So we were all born we got proof. <laughs> um, we were always very involved in church. We were there, I would say we, our average church attendance was around probably 150 times a year. Because you used to have morning church on Sunday, evening church, and Wednesday. And then whenever you had special events, of course, you're there multiple times throughout the week. So that's what we thought regular church attendance was, was at least three to four times a week. I know that's changed in some of our minds over the years. Um, but we are very deeply involved in music ministry and different capacities over the time kind of moving parallel with our forward-facing family, we had some struggles going on within. And dad specifically had some struggles that were hard to shake around alcoholism and drug abuse. And when I was 12, which would have made Mel, what, 10? Probably, and Joel, five, six, something like that? Seven, something like that. Um, Yeah, but dad left home for the first time for rehab. And over the next couple decades, the better part of, He was kind of in and out of rehab, prison, spent some time living on the streets. Um, And about 10, 12 years ago, I remember we were sitting in our living room thinking, man, it's been 10 months since we've heard from dad. And we tried calling the friends and contacts we had had as his last known address. And he said, I don't know where he is. So if you've never done this before and you've been missing someone in your life for 10 months, first of all, you may want to report it to the police. Um, But second, look for police reports. And so we Googled his name in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and found a news story, um, some counts that he was arrested on. Once we knew what county he was arrested in, we found a website called inmatefinder.com. A true, true thing, real thing. It may help some out. And we were able to kind of track him down and reestablish some connection. Long story short, um, Once he was released from prison, we were in contact a little more, and he would come out to stay for a week or two at a time during the summer or around Christmas. And after a few years, and Mel shall share a little bit of this story later, we felt like it was really time to figure out what it would take to invite him out here to live with us. And what, oh, I forgot to mention, in that process, 2000, was it around 2000 when you guys divorced? 2001? So around 2001, they divorced, which was a really rough decision, especially for mom to come through. She struggled with that for years because of just reading how God hates divorce. So she did not come to it softly. Um, but eventually they did, and several years later she remarried, and we have a step brother, son. Um, he's the redheaded stepchild, quite literally, but we love him. His name is Dylan. Um, and what is cool is to see that God throughout the trial, throughout the brokenness, that he has brought us not just to a place of forgiveness, but also a place of healing and reconciliation. So this morning, if there's a relationship in your life that feels broken and lost forever, we're here to to tell you it's not, okay? There is hope, there is hope. So, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you've heard kind of my take on the story a little bit, so I want to open it up to some other perspectives here this morning. But, to do this, we're going to start with a core text, which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, feel free to tap or turn to there and follow along. We're going to pick it up in verse 16, I believe. Do you have it up there, Bailey? There it is. And it says this. This These are the words of the Apostle Paul. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen. Next. All this is from God. Who rec- I, I should have this memorized, right? Sorry. <laughs> I was slacking. I meant to bring my notes up, and I forgot. I'll grab them when someone else is talking. All this is from God who reconciled to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's what? ambassadors as through God as though God were making his appeal through us. So this is our ministry for every Proclaiming believer, the ministry of reconciliation belongs to you. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, reconciled is a loaded term. If you're familiar with the renovation vision statement, it says, "Does anyone know what it says?" Oh, oh, challenge, <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Kurt. Do you know what it says? <laughs> Put it up there, Bailey. Oh, we don't have it up there. So. Our vision statement is to raise up influencers. Now, that word influencers could just as easily be substituted for reconcilers or witnesses. To raise up reconcilers through spiritual transformation, which is something only God can do, to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential. So reconciliation is not only a ministry given to every believer, but it's at the core of who we are as, as a church here at Renovation. This is important. Reconciliation in uh, the dictionary term is basically a restoration of friendly relations. A restoration of friendly relations. I think before we can talk too much about what reconciliation is though, we need to talk about what it is not, okay? And so I think a lot of times we merge the terms forgiveness with reconciliation, but they are not the same thing. Forgiveness is usually the first step toward reconciliation. But here's how they're different, okay? First of all, forgiveness, do we have a definition for that one? Yeah, it is the principal decision to give up your justified right for revenge. This is us giving up our right to be right. Forgiveness is the principal decision to give up your right for revenge. But here's the thing, forgiveness doesn't take two parties. It only takes one to forgive. In fact, Lewis Smedes in his book, Forgive and Forget, says this, it takes one person to forget, it takes two to be reunified, or reunited, or reconciled. It takes one to forgive, and this morning, the good news for you, if there is someone that you've been harboring unforgiveness toward, it doesn't matter whether they're still alive or not, or whether it's even safe to reconcile with them or not, but you can forgive them in your heart. And in fact, we are instructed to forgive. Jesus, these are red words, folks, in Matthew chapter six, Tagged on to the end of the Lord's Prayer, he adds these kind of ugh, cutting remarks about forgiveness. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Ugh. Don't you wish he would have left that part out? Don't you don't you like the soft Jesus loves me, this I know? He doesn't require anything of me. Like, that's, that's what we want. We just wanna curl up with the little lamb, Jesus, and cuddle him, and like, everything's gonna be fine. But he says, no, there's more to this, and you are invited into this journey. Joel, would you share a little bit about what forgiveness meant to you, what your experience was when dad first left home, especially since you were so young, and what it has looked like uh, for, to find forgiveness in the process?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when we uh, we met together a little bit to kind of swap, you know, share what we were going to be talking about today, and I think actually my answer uh, came as a bit of a surprise to the family. And said uh, in a from a direct sense, honestly, I don't think I was much affected. Now that's different from indirect. I think I was definitely indirectly affected uh, through the separation and through kind of coming up in a broken home or a single parent family. And mostly that was experienced through the siblings and that was experienced through mom and the way that they internalized it and the way that it impacted them. I kind of caught the fringes that way. Um, and (laughs) Kind of joke a little bit. There's a lot of the unknown influences. So things like, I don't know, maybe some of my hobbies or interests might have been influenced by not having that influence, you know, directly speaking in. And the one that we were laughing about yesterday is auto mechanics. Uh, Josiah got to rebuild an engine or two or more with dad. And so nowadays he actually loves building old trucks and rebuilding them. And it's, for him, it's enjoyable for me. When the check engine light comes on, it's like life just ended. (laughs)
2: Whoa, why
1: me Lord? (laughs) In my best alley impersonation. Um, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) this won't be recorded. Right. Um, But why would I say it didn't really impact me much directly? I think there's a lot of factors. One of them was being so young, is I kind of grew up not knowing life could be or should be any different than it did. And then I go to school and in our neighborhood, and it was actually more common, a majority of kids grew up in a single family, a single parent household. So it didn't feel like it was abnormal, which as I reflect on that now, that actually kind of makes me sad to think that that's the normal in our culture. Um, There was also my own personality type, which is very logical and maybe cerebral, not necessarily emotionally driven or uh, so forth and that. Uh, But there was also positive influences, like growing up in a Christian family, having a great support system through our church, which I know Josiah mentioned a little bit too. And I think that kind of segues a little bit into the question of forgiveness and how did that look, is we grew up in in a church where I think forgiveness was really well taught from an early age. And for me, I always thought of, what is forgiveness? Well, it's, it's the opposite of bitterness. And as Pastor Kurt says, you know, bitterness is this idea that you light yourself on fire and you're hoping the other person dies from smoke inhalation. And, you know, <laughs> somebody will get that later. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I knew early on that forgiveness was going to be something that was for my own benefit, and, and I wasn't really going to be able to progress effectively in life while I was trying to walk around with that anchor around my leg. Um, So, you know, obviously the forgiveness in a moment but then years later I started getting into study and research and I kind of had this epiphany, this revelation that forgiveness is a choice of the will it comes from our logical, our explicit, our declarative, cognitive uh, part of our brain. It's not primarily coming from the implicit impression, senses, traumatic, you know, elements of the brain, but what happens is when you do get offended, you take offense because somebody does it intentionally or not, well it doesn't only impact us in one part of the brain or the other, it impacts our whole being. So what happens is you get this issue of bitterness that can take seed and you come to realize that forgiveness is not a one and done scenario, it becomes a process. It is an ongoing conscious decision that we get to make over the course of time, Um, and of course, in the midst of my journeys and my studies, I, like every, you know, self-proclaimed intellectual, had to look into a little bit of brain science and neural pathways and all that, of course, obviously, so. uh, What's interesting is that physiologically, what happens is, uh, in your brain, you form what's called neural pathways, and that's one of the reasons that trying to stop an old habit or start a new habit is so difficult is because you're actually physiologically trying to rebel against your brain's design and the way that you've programmed it up to this point. So a lot of people live a lifestyle of bitterness because that's what they keep reinforcing, that's what they keep edifying, that's what they keep spending all their time and energy thinking about. So when we want to really come into a place of embracing and understanding and living a life of freedom and forgiveness, it's going to be this ongoing, difficult, but
0: very, very worth it process it's good yeah he's got that cerebral part going on but i love what he said you know that forgiveness is something that you do for you lewis Smeads, the same author there he said that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you now reconciliation Reconciliation, then, and how it differs, it refers to the restoration of fractured relationships by overcoming grief, pain, and anger. There's a woman named Karen Bronas who works for theforgivenessproject.com, and they're an organization that goes into war-ridden countries Uh, specifically in Africa, but I think they do other world regions as well, where there has been genocide, where there has been pillaging, rape, murder, a lot of these sort of things that have separated these societies. And they go in with the the, uh, target, the goal of reconciliation between these parties. And she says that reconciliation is a social process that involves mutual acknowledgement of past suffering and the changing of destructive attitudes and behavior into constructive relationships toward sustainable peace. So reconciliation requires all the affected parties. And in a biblical sense, reconciliation is greater than even humans, right? Because as we read in Second Corinthians, that the first act of reconciliation was performed by Jesus in that act on the cross, reconciling God and humanity. And now we have been given that same ministry of reconciliation with other people. Um, we're a musical family, you may not have noticed, but so I thought, how could we illustrate the difference between reconciliation and not? Because it, when you look at the verbiage, it's this, like, this condition without tension. And so one of the words, especially when you read like in financial terms, reconciling bank bank statements is finding harmony. I thought that was interesting. The word harmony is in the dictionary, not unison, harmony. Because the reality is even in reconciliation, you may not always see eye to eye on everything. But it doesn't mean that you can't still live without that tension, understanding each other. Melody celebrated a birthday yesterday. (laughs) She has turned 21, Finally. don't know how she has a 14-year-old daughter, we'll talk about that later, but um, you've probably all been to a birthday party where as the cake is carried in, you hear a horrendous no key in sight rendition or moaning of cattle as like singing happy birthday together, right? And so if you would join me today, let's sing your worst happy birthday to Melody. Let's do this, ready? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy
2: birthday you, happy birthday to you. Well awesome.
0: Give yourself a hand, that was terrible. Now by contrast,
3: Sky
2: from
0: Some of you were blessed with the gift of tone deafness, and you didn't hear a difference between those. (laughs) For for those of you who do have music in your blood, that first thing probably made that blood curdle, right? Because there's this dissonance, there's this tension, there's this, make it stop, you know? Whereas the resolution for us was not all singing the same note necessarily, but it was singing in harmony. And there brought a resolution and a beauty in our differences. Melody, what did reconciliation initially look like for you? And then what has that continued to look like to live reconciled?
4: Well, as my family and my kids can attest to, what it is not is not pretty. It is not perfect. Um, There can be a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in the process of it. But it is a want to. And um, reconciliation is something that I always wanted with my dad. Um, But it would happen eventually, someday, many years down the road. Um, Maybe after certain events or circumstances happened. So um, Glenn and I would fly my dad out occasionally to come visit and see his grandkids so that they had some kind of relationship. And some kind of memory with him and there was a span of about three years and we went to the airport and he's walking down the terminal and didn't know he was literally terminal <laughs> um, but it turns out he was he had a lot of health problems and it was very evident to me the holy spirit kind of jesus ephesians um, 9 35 and 36 says jesus went and he saw what did I say? Jesus. Ephesians? My bad. Matthew nine thirty-five and 36. <laughs> um, that Jesus went to the villages. He saw and he had compassion. And that's kind of what exactly happened. Is I saw him and things weren't perfect and I didn't feel ready. But it was time. The time was now. Um, and so that's kind of what it looked like initially. And that kind of propelled us to have a family meeting. Like what is it going to look like bringing him out here? Ongoing... Um, it's messy. It's, there's tears, there's frustration, but that want to is there, and I think that's the key. It's a continual direction. It's not a one-time thing that happens, and it's all butterflies and rosy. Um, it can be very messy, um, but it's a want to, and it's a, a two-way path, continually moving in a different direction toward healing
0: awesome so reconciliation is not easy it is perpetual just like forgiveness um, but the more that we've told our story as a family over recent years the more I've, I've grown to grasp that most families that are broken or blended don't find the level of reconciliation that we have found got something buzzing there Brandon Brandon feel it. Um, Thanks. They don't find this level of reconciliation. And so I wonder, even though this ministry has been given by Jesus to every Christian, why does it still seem so rare? And I think there are things that get in the way so often. And this is not a conclusive list, but I believe there are are several roadblocks to reconciliation. First one is, I think, is unforgiveness. Forgiveness is the first step toward reconciliation. And I think there are so many because of the level of hurt that you've had or pain that you've experienced from someone. Sometimes it can be so hard to give up your right to be right. Sometimes I think pride gets in the way. And to me, pride is a manifestation of insecurity because it's our desire to want to try to control something or someone. And if we think we can lord unforgiveness over someone's head again, as we read before, Forgiveness To forgive someone is to set the prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was you. I think another thing that separates us or a roadblock to reconciliation is sin. Sin separates us from God and from each other. I love how Dr. Dan says, sin makes you stupid. <laughs> it does. It prevents us from, ab- from being able to look at a situation rationally because we're so neck deep in sin. A third one, I think, that really affects the third roadblock is identity issues. Sometimes we forget who we are and we start buying into who the world says that we are. But there's some truth, church. This morning, if, if Christ lives in your heart and you are in Christ, the Bible has some huge declarations about who you are in Christ. For example, you are completely forgiven, sanctified, made forever perfect before God and hence completely reconciled to God. There are more scriptures. Don't bother writing these down, um, but I would encourage you, if you like, there's handouts in the back that have all these references, and the next time you feel worn out, the next time you feel insignificant, the next time you're struggling with forgiving someone, read these declarations, okay? It doesn't take long to be encouraged, Um. I'm not gonna read this. I'm just, the scriptures are there, okay? Look them up later. A few more examples. All that is part of your old self, all that's sinful and contrary to God, has been crucified. You were made new and given Christ's eternal, resurrected life. You are indwelt with the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God Almighty. You are redeemed and set free from the curse of the law. And these declarations go on and on and on. But sometimes, as the old song says, we forget to remember. So, Dad, now to hear from you. And first, I just want to take a moment and just thank and honor you for sitting up here this morning. I know it takes a lot of... (laughs) It takes a lot of humility, to be able to stand as, quite honestly, I mean, kind of the object of our conversation, but also to see that even your most broken relationships are fully redeemable in Christ. So, Dad, how did sin and identity inhibit reconciliation on your part? And what was
2: the key for you in overcoming them? Well, um, sin wasn't my addiction. (laughs) I might need that. Sin wasn't my, or uh, addiction wasn't my sin. It was selfishness selfishness was my sin because I was only looking out for myself and um, of course the sin or once I got into it the addiction of drinking and drugging um, it enslaved me and it had a grab on me that I couldn't shake but it loaded me down with shame and guilt because I knew right from wrong I was raised in a Christian home and you know, a lot of our story we can't tell right now, but uh, God's used us along the way, and then I had a tough spot where I reverted back to uh, drugs and alcohol to kind of, I guess, its um, the word I'm looking for? Numb the pain? Um, well, yeah, yeah, to numb the pain. Um, I was in in prison uh, one of the times. (laughs) I was in prison. I got divorce papers from Joy. And and then later she had remarried. And um, I didn't really know. You know, I felt like I didn't know if I could restore a relationship with my children. And, um, you know, and with her also. But that was a little kind of weird at first. Um, and I guess it was for joy too. We didn't really know how to act um, with each other because she had moved on, and and um, and I was moving on too, but in a different direction. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, on the second part of that, you asked, uh, what do you think the key was over in overcoming? your the hurdles yeah the key to overcoming um was really finding my identity in christ jesus and and dying to myself i had to die to myself and um second look at my notes. (laughs) yeah don't look at your kleenex yeah i know (laughs) I thought I had it more or less memorized. Um, Well, anyhow, discovering my true identity in Christ Jesus, it's an ongoing process. Um, But God's done so much in my life over the years, not just with the miracle of life, which uh, two and a half years ago I would have been dead. And uh, I had a double lung transplant at that time. So I really look at that as a miracle that God's given me that time with my family and uh how much more you know i'm really thankful for um i pray that i'll be one of those that can uh live longer than the normal lifespan (laughs) but um i just want our our family and my life to um help others you know, there's a lot of people that are going through things. And selfishness covers a lot of territory. It's um, not just, you know, drugs and alcohol. It can be anything. It can be money, cars, um, fashion. But um, I'm at peace. God's given me a peace that I've never had before. And uh, I'm not afraid of death. It's, uh, actually, I died three times. <laughs> and they and brought you should me back. have died a lot more times yeah, over your life. That's, that's true. <laughs> but I actually flatlined three times, and they brought me back. So I know God's not done with me yet. And uh, for that, he'd use my story, you know, to help someone else. <clears throat> Maybe I can do that sometime, but uh, it's a pretty long story. <laughs> Uh, for the same thing. Well, anyhow, all, all of that by giving myself up to God totally and um, really wanting to live, live for Him, let Him reign my life. And uh, that allowed me to go cold turkey. You know, just stopped drinking and drugging and haven't had that desire, you know. And I now praise God for that. So it was hard to, hard to get out of it. It really was. Um, well, that's pretty much just...
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, and as I reflect, because it wasn't just the times you coded on the table, that there are so many times in your life that you really should have died yeah. from... I mean, from your overdose early on to, I mean, construction accidents and all kinds of things. I mean, when you had an x-ray done on your back and these doctors said, I've never seen anyone with this kind of skeletal structure that hasn't been a paraplegic. You know, it's like there's so many times you should have been dead, but I'm convinced. You know, we've asked so many times along the line, there must be a reason that God's holding on to him. And I think it's for such a time as this. So thank you. (laughs) And that's a good segue into, I think, the fourth roadblock which is self. Especially in our Western culture, so much of our world revolves around us. You may have heard the, uh, the catchphrase about self-care around, and I think in some ways it's overinflated. Um, in some ways it's knowing or redefining what it means within a biblical perspective. Because um, when we look at Jesus, ultimately his self-care was not primarily for him, his getting away from the crowds to be alone with God the Father was not primarily for him. It was so that he could be what God needed him to be for others. The Eucharist, theological term, and the picture there is, is of Jesus being broken and poured out for us. And it wasn't only in his death. It was just as much in his life as well. He lived broken and poured out for us And as we share in that Eucharist, God shows us and enables us to sacrifice for the good of others. Edward Yarnold has a quote. He says, we were made in God's image and he willingly sacrificed himself for others. The more we come to know God, the more we understand our true nature, the more natural self-sacrifice will become for us. Maybe vulnerability is a true strength. Maybe sacrificing yourself for the good of others is not a sign of weakness at all, but is rather the greatest power that the world ever knows. So before, I'm not gonna talk about getting into neglect, but I'm gonna put the question to mom then. Mom, you modeled personal sacrifice to us. What compelled you to do so? What did self-care look like for you? Um, and why are you now reconciled to your ex-husband
3: well self-sacrifice i think is something that is put in people by god into parents by god when you become a parent i think it's natural to be self-sacrificing because you love your babies but there is a difference between the world's idea of self-sacrifice and the believer's idea of self-sacrifice and that is we always we come to the end of ourselves But as the song says, when we come to the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. There came a point in my life when I was 18 on a New Year's Eve that I made a very conscious decision and a conscious choice to surrender everything to God and to uh, commit my life to Him, to live out my life doing His will, whatever that was and whatever it entailed. Of course, I could not possibly know all the, the sorrow and the struggle that would come, but the commitment was there, and it was real, and it was true, and it has carried me, and it has informed my decisions from that day until this day. And for all the difficult and challenging things that have been in our lives and in my life, I can tell you without question, it is and has been the most joyful and best and blessed way to live. Um, there have been several things that I have done along the way in a practical sense that have helped me in my healing process. Our divorce was uh, deeply wounding and hurtful because I knew God's plan for marriage, but He, um, I, there came a point after a number of years of waiting and hoping that I decided to do a study on divorce and to just listen for God's voice and do whatever I felt he told me to do. So I went into a period of a partial fasting and prayer for four months and really seeking God. And as I read the scriptures on divorce and especially in Malachi, I began to realize that God does not say he hates divorce because he doesn't want us to be happy. God hates divorce because it breaks relationships and that's what he is all about. And it wounds him to see us wounded and hurting. Eventually, I did come to the place where uh, I felt that I needed to pursue divorce because of the safety of my kids and um, my own safety, and so I did pursue it. But um, the, the things that I worked through on a practical sense that helped me were four, four things that come to my mind. First was scripture. I had a lot of anxiety acute chronic anxiety for quite a long time and so I ended up I opened my Bible I had an amplified Bible that a precious friend had given me and I opened it up to first John chapter three and four and I laid it on my coffee table and it sat there in that spot for two years and I never I never looked at another scripture in two years because I couldn't I had such deep healing that needed to take place but I learned about the magnificent love of God and how his love washes over us, how it is so true and so deep that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we know his love um, because of Christ and what he did. And, And so I just... I just bathed myself in that. Every time I felt the anxiety overwhelming me, I went back to my coffee table, picked up my Bible. It happened several times every single day and and just bathed myself in the rendering that the the Amplified Bible gave. The second thing I did was I started exercising on a regular basis. I went out and ran and uh, running Really, I I gained benefit from it in several ways. First, it was a way to process my anger. I had so much pent-up anger from so many years uh, that I, I was afraid to face it. I was afraid if I unbottled it and let it out that it would never go away, that it would consume me. So I started running, and that was where I processed so much of it in a physical sense, the second thing I learned from that was it became a place of prayer for me to be out running. And to this day, when I'm out running, that's when I do my best praying. I can't wait. I, first thing I do in the morning, I roll out of bed, put on my running clothes, and head out the door. And, uh, and sometimes I'm out for a little while and sometimes out for a long while. But I pray while I'm out there, and I, and I really sense God's presence when I'm there. Um, and then finally, it, it helped me regain my health. I had taken a hit to my health in many physical ways through the stress and strain of the years. And running helped me regain, that, gain, regain a measure of health. Um, and I feel like I really enjoy good health today. So, so scripture, running. The third thing was I sought professional counseling. I needed it, and I knew it. And I sought out a godly counselor, and uh, this man helped me in immeasurable ways to process all the things that had happened. There is one funny thing that always stands out to me. When I went in one day crying my eyes out, and I said, I thought the truth was going to set me free. And he said, it will, but it will make you miserable first. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right, because you had to face the truth in order to gain the truth. And so it did eventually set me free and, uh, and I enjoy that freedom now. Uh, so there was that. And then finally I sought out, I had a few close friends that really stood with me and walked with me through this whole process. And I appreciated these friendships. And uh, it was just two or three, but they hung in there with me and helped me. And, uh, and eventually I did move from being a victim to being the victor. And I praise God for that. And he's used our story in many ways. I am grateful and uh, thankful for all he has done.
0: Hallelujah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Get it. Um, well, thank you. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for listening. And like we've said over and over and over, reconciliation is not easy but it is so important and fruitful. So my encouragement to you, if, if, if you have a relationship that feels unreconciled in your life, if it is, you can start maybe today with forgiveness, learning how to forgive them, to set yourself free. If it's safe to pursue reconciliation with that person and if they are still alive, um, maybe something that you've heard in our process here um, will be helpful and beneficial to you this morning. But the enemy's saying, okay, it's great what God did for your family, Josiah, but you don't know my situation. God does. Yes, does. God knows. And he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Today... Um, that simple scripture from Ephesians three twenty and 21. If you would stand with me, let's just declare this together um, as we leave. Ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 We're done. Do you want to add anything or are we good? All right. You are dismissed.
3: (laughs) Have an uncommon week.